Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, along with Stephanie Burke, science advisor Matt Moniz, and the silent assassin Matt Costa, broadcasting live on WBSM, as well as on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you are somewhere where you can access the Internet, whether it be via computer or phone or through the chip in your brain, all you have to do is go to Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can watch the show. As it happens. And I know some of you are out there, you're listening on some of the apps. We have the Radio Pup app, which, of course, is, uh, is put out by Town Square Media, which owns our station. You can get that app for free for Android or for iPhone. We also have the Ustream app, which allows you to watch the show live on Spooky TV as well. And it's also on WBSM.com. But the ultimate place to go is Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Why? Because there, not only can you watch the show and listen to the show, but you can chat along with us, which you can do via your Twitter account by using the hashtag SpookyLive. And I know that uh, we've gone through some different chat room incarnations over the last year or two. I think we've gone through like 17 different chat attempts. But this seems to be working the best because not only does it not tax the website, the website was crashing before with everybody trying to get in there and chat all at once. So now with using Twitter, it allows people to be able to be part of the conversation even if they're not part of the chat room. So if you're listening you know, at any given time, even if you're listening to the podcast later on, you can always hashtag your thoughts with Spooky Live. Uh, and of course, you can follow us on Twitter at SpookySC because they wouldn't allow us to have the whole spooky South Coast. But Matt Costa, last week, Spooky TV was our best performance yet. Everything worked fine, technically. It looked awesome. We had all the graphics. We had the multiple cameras. And, of course, we had an awesome guest in James Van Prague. Uh, but that's up on YouTube now, under our YouTube archive. So if anybody wants to check that out, just go to YouTube.com slash Spooky South Coast, and you can see, finally, what we envisioned when we started doing Spooky TV a few years ago. Right. I'm actually... Uh Pretty proud of it. It's a good time. Worked out. Worked out really well, I think. So hopefully this one will as well because we have a huge, huge show for you tonight. Joining us a little bit later on in the program will be our guests, John Tenney and David Roundtree. They are from the new television series Ghost Stalkers. Have you guys heard about this show yet? Um, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> Who? <laughs> exactly. Well, did they, did they sneak up on ghosts? Is that what they do? No, actually, we'll we'll ask Tenny later on. He has a great uh, a great definition as to why. Because he felt the same way I did at first when he when he heard the name. Like, hmm, not sure how I feel about this. And you got to think about that when when you're. John Tenney or Chad Lindbergh, the two main investigators for the show, the two stars of the show, when you're them, I don't know if you want to do anything where you're publicly called a stalker, <laughs> but uh, John will tell us the actual definition of the word stalker, and, and then it makes perfect sense uh, when it all comes together uh, for what we're doing with this program. Of course, I've been working on it as the writer and the researcher, but they are the real brains behind the show. John and Chad are the ones out there in the investigation. Dave is the one creating all the interesting equipment and coming up with cool experiments for them to try. So we're going to get into not just what makes the show different from other paranormal reality shows, but we're going to get into what really is kind of at the heart of the theories that are being presented on the show. So, And you know here on Spooky South Coast, we kind of operate under the assumption that if you are new to the paranormal, welcome aboard. But we're operating under the assumption that 
If you're along for this ride, you're already accepting that there are things out there that we can't explain. So instead of trying to convince you, the audience, we try to take you a little bit deeper and explain the why and the how. We've been doing that for you know nine years now. Uh, but that's something that you're going to see for the first time with Ghost Stalkers, and we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on. We'll also have our Week in Weird segment where, you t- where we talk with you about some of the stranger stories of the weeks. It's been a few weeks, Stephanie, since we had the Week in Weird. It has been, and it's actually been pretty weird. Uh, that's, I'm an that's weird right there. As soon as you say weird, <laughs> the commercial fires off. But what, one of the things that uh, has been the reason why we haven't done it is because we've been doing what we call Psychic September. Right. Which was very successful in terms of the audience. The audience loved it. They loved hearing Matt Frazier. They loved hearing James Van Prague. You know, they loved hearing Bob Olson talk about his research into psychics and mm-hmm. mediums. And, and of course, we had Bob, uh, Bob Ethier on as well, talking about right. some of his work working with psychics, too. So it was a pretty big success. I think we're going to make it an annual thing. I think we should. As long as they let us keep coming in here on Saturday nights, and so far they forgot that they gave us a key, so I think we're good for a little while. <laughs> we'll have Psychic September each year. And it's, you know, we try to have readings every mm-hmm. once in a while through the course of the year, and a little bit of inside information. You know, that's a great night for us as hosts, because all we have to do is push the buttons. Right. We don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. Everybody else just... You know, calls in. They they don't want to talk to us. They want to talk to the psychic, to the medium, to the you know, to the numerologist, whoever we have on. They want to get a free reading. So all we have to do is push the buttons, take the calls, and just sit back and relax. But when we have something like we did with Psychic September, we're going to get deeper into it. Right. We're going to get more into what makes them tick. It was very interesting uh, coming from somebody that does that too. Listening to especially James Van Prague come on and and discuss his thirty plus years of experience that was really awesome. Right, and you probably want to know like I do, mm-hmm. but for a different reason. The process you want to know what it is, how they do what they do, and how it comes to them, and if it's the same way that it happens for you. I'm a huge psychoanalyzer, anyways, so it's it's amazing to hear how other people do what they do, or do they share the same views and the outlooks as I do, and the same beliefs and it was it was actually really cool. See, I you know I'm I'm a writer by trade mm-hmm. and uh, mainly a sports writer. So I will talk with other sports writers kind of about how they do things. Right. You know, I was in a conversation with somebody uh, just the other night about the process of how I write, and I was talking about how I like to take quotes and build off the quotes mm-hmm. and let the person that I'm featuring in the story tell the story. And this person's like, oh, well, I try to tell the story and then insert the quotes where it supports what I'm telling Mm -hmm. and you know both are right both are just different ways of reaching the same end it's a different style exactly so for me it's that's interesting to break it down that way so i'm sure that that's kind of the same thing that goes through your mind yeah it's always fun to go to a different medium or a psychic show and or even talk to them in depth about what they do and i think uh you know as we learn from bob and james van prague always the student you always learn different things and it's fun to learn from different people especially when they do the same thing that you do or something similar and i think are we having a camera issue matt um i don't think so because i'm just seeing my stupid face a lot oh i'm way behind that's why <laughs> oh man i get i always get nervous when the camera's on me way too much because i really really enjoy picking my nose i don't know it looks like i have the booger cam right now so yeah. That's no. Hold on, hold on. No, no, I don't see any. You're good. No, I tried no, to blow my nose before I. Came. Yeah, no bats in the belfry. It's awesome. So, <laughs> good news. That's, that's the only thing is I like I watch the spooky TV and I really shouldn't do that because the internet's so slow here. We're so far behind. But if anybody would like to join in the discussion uh, via Twitter, you can do so. 
by hashtagging spooky SC, or you can tweet us directly. I'm sorry, it's hashtagging spooky live. spooky live, or tweeting us directly at spooky SC. I almost reversed that. And you can also get in touch with us the old fashioned way by calling in 508 996 0500. 877-996-1420 and you can also email your questions as well spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com and those ways of contacting us well except the phone numbers are are good all week long so if you have a question if you have a show idea if you if you're listening to a show from five years ago and you have a question you can always email us or tweet us with that question but it happens all the time people will send me messages and be like remember this show and I'm <laughs> kind of. So, but we'll do our best to answer the question. One question that did come up through the course of this week was about our archives. We use a great, great podcast server called Hipcast. And what's great about it is they don't charge us any bandwidth. Now, we got in on Hipcast on the ground floor back when it originally started, you know, back in 2006, we signed up with them. So we have, we're kind of grandfathered in with this deal. It doesn't work the same way for a lot of other hipcast broadcasters now so what we're doing is you know we're we're trying to work with them to uh, upgrade our archives because what happened was when they switched over everything uh, with the new servers they lost they lost the ability to archive more than 100 episodes per show on itunes and we've done five or six hundred shows at this point so we only have the most recent 100 up in our itunes feed they're working on trying to fix that so they can expand that and have deeper archives available on the feed. However, if you can't access the archives via iTunes and you want to go back and listen to before the last 100 shows, and we, we had some great, great shows uh, back then, if you want to go and check them out, you can just go to the archive feed on SpookySouthCoast.com, and that will allow you to access those previous one, uh, you know, four or five hundred episodes, whatever's there, prior to the f- to the most recent hundred. The problem is, is you're going to get a page that's a big long bunch of RSS feeds, and it's really hard to read, and it's hard to do anything with, and it's hard for us to get in there and edit that to be able to change it up to make it look more presentable. So you kind of just have to roll with it. I did get in touch with Hipcast today, and I did ask them if they can either take what they gave us in terms of that feed and give us something that actually matches our website or if they can find a way to start adding more than the last 100 episodes to our iTunes feed. I don't care about anybody else on HipCast. Just make sure that we can because we've been around since the beginning. So we'll work on getting that done for you. Also, one other thing that uh, you'll notice if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com is, hold on, let me get one. We now have up on the site my wife's ghost face hats that she makes, and I'm going to hold that up for the camera here. Uh, normally, she's out there selling these at craft fairs and all that kind of stuff, but she didn't get a chance to do it this year because I've been so busy running around with stuff for ghost stalkers and everything else. Uh, so now we are going to put these on the website, so if people would like to buy them, you can do so just by going, there we go, by going to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can purchase them right there. They're $20 plus $3 shipping. And I've, I've won it on the show before, but it just gets warm in here on my head. So if you want to get one, they make a, a great gift for folks, a great thing to wear on Halloween. Maybe you don't want to wear a costume, but you just want to look you know, spooky. You can put on a white T-shirt and one of these hats, and there you go. You'll be all set. So if you want to purchase one of those, you can do so by going to SpookySouthCoast.com, and it's right at the top there. And I promise I will not sell you that one that I just had on my sweaty head. All right, well, I think that that pretty much covers all the promotional aspects of things. 
I think we've uh, plugged all the things that we have to plug. And before we get into the discussion about Ghost Stalkers with our guests tonight, John Tenney and David Roundtree, I think maybe, just maybe, it's time. I'll make sure I do this right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I. No, that's not right. No, all right, let's try right. this. Let's get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. All right. Up first tonight we have, instead of ghost stalkers, maybe we'll call it Walmart stalkers, a man drove across the country to confess to a 1997 killing because he misinterpreted messages about a prescription medicine as a veiled reference to the stranger he bludgeoned. Matthew Gibson, 55, was sentenced last week to 10 years in prison after the death of Barbara Leone Brown in Bullhead City, Arizona. Authorities didn't even know he existed before Gibson drove from North Carolina to Arizona this summer to confess that he beat the 38-year-old woman with a flashlight and ditched her body in the Colorado River the first night they met. Oh, I hate it when that happens. It's weird, huh? (laughs) His lawyer said that he came clean because he just wanted it off his chest. However, the truth is Gibson had started to receive voicemails and text messages from Walmart saying that Anita Townshed's prescription was ready. Because Gibson didn't know the name of the woman he killed, he worried that Townshed was the victim and that someone had found out what he did to her. He then received an envelope with no return address that contained an ad from Walmart and started fearing that there was a contract on his head. He told the observer that he had deleted the text and voicemails but that Gibson told her if he had ever received them, he would never have come forward. So it would still be an unsolved crime right now had he not turned himself in. Yeah, you know, people do stupid things. And uh, there was actually a story, I don't know if you saw it today, about uh, a kid who killed his girlfriend in the UK because he wanted to be like Dexter. I did not see that. Right. So but that's I mean, interesting. Yeah. I liked that show. You li- I was going to say, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you like that stuff. I'm like, you like when people kill No, I liked Dexter. But that's I think he liked it too, just a, a bit too much. A little weird. Yeah. yeah. So, paranoid maybe? I don't know. Next up, we have an Australian Pizza Hut came under serious criticism earlier this month for a truly thoughtless promotional campaign that offered free pets to customers making bulk purchases. <laughs> Did you hear about this? No. The store, which is located in the suburb of Mount Waverley, southeast of Melbourne, had a sign in its window that advertised, buy any 10 large pizzas and get one free small animal from Pet Story. The tasteless giveaway, which was not condoned by Pizza Hut Australia, was immediately flamed on social media. People could not believe that the store had deemed it appropriate to, as one user, Twitter user had put it, give away animals like toys. A local animal rights organization, Oscar's Law, got involved and added fuel to the fire by demanding the store take down the sign. After first covering it up, the sign was eventually removed. Pizza Hut Australia had apologized and insisted that no animals were actually given away by the Rogue franchise. From what I saw, they were giving away small hamsters. And from what I heard, your husband was so glad that you don't live in Australia. Yeah, probably. Because you love taking home pets and eating pizza. You should pizza have seen Hut. the stray cat in my car today. That was that was a good time. I, I don't even want to go there nope. right now. Nope. 
<laughs> at least the pe- at least the pets came with the pizza instead Ten of as part pizzas. of the pizza. Right. Absolutely. Or inside the pizza box. That would be terrible. That's happened. I mean, before. did they have the pets in the restaurant? I don't know. Like, it no, I think clarify. you had to go to like a local. Well, was it, was like, it like, like a coupon a, for yeah, a gift certificate? Yeah. One free gerbil with the purchase right. of a pizza. Yeah. I immediately thought of you when I found that story. Yeah. Matt would have named it pepperoni. <laughs> yeah, he, he would have, and he would have had a bunch Pizone. of <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of pizza, do you guys like nuts on your pizza? Did, uh, how many pizzas no. did Richard? Hear no. <laughs> how many pizzas did Richard Gear show up as right? Huh? <laughs> That's such an old joke. <laughs> it is, but it never dies. <laughs> Didn't they actually reference that on The Simpsons? Uh, I think they referenced everything on The Simpsons. Uh, yeah, I think when they had Richard Gere on, I think. Didn't the hamster, like, make a face? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry, go ahead. It's fine. Well, last up we have a Texas teen employed at a Papa Murphy's Pizza franchise faces criminal charges oh, after... Stories. I know. After a customer caught him in the act of rubbing his scrotum on an uncooked stuffed crust Hawaiian pizza that he had ordered, according to the Austin American Statesman. (laughs) When the customer asked Austin Simmons how old he was, he replied that he was 18. So, you are old enough to know better than to put your balls on someone's pizza, the customer said, according to the station. Yes, Simmons replied. Man, I am really sorry. That was stupid. Simmons was apparently upset that an order had come on in just before closing time. He allegedly admitted to police that he probably would have fulfilled the order with the tainted pizza if he had not been caught. Simmons is charged with tampering with a consumer product. He was released on $10,000 bail. Papa Murphy's is a Washington-based chain that makes take-and-bake pizza. It's a fast-food failure. Hmm. Makes me rethink kinda, stuffed crust pizza. Kind of scary, all at the same time. It's a bit nutty. Let's, yes. Right. L- listen, okay, <laughs> I, I understand that it's possible when you go out to these fast food places, you never know what people are going to actually do to your food. And we've all been in the situation where, say, we're at the drive-thru, we're a little impatient, mm-hmm. our order's taking forever, we're complaining like, hey, how much longer is it going to be here? And then you realize immediately after you've said that, I just made the biggest mistake of my life because who knows what they're doing to my burger back there. Right. So we've all been in that situation. The more I hear stories like this, the more I hear stories about like what goes on at McDonald's, the more I think to myself, I think it's time that I got a little healthier in what I <laughs> ate and avoid some of these places. Uh, but uh, that one might actually take the cake. Yeah, especially getting caught in the act. Now, you guys working in the food industry for years. Never. No. I wasn't going to ask if you guys have done that. I was going to say, I'm sure you know <laughs> of other stories of people that have done it that... You worked with people of people that came and go and went and worked with us that would tell us stories about what they did, and I don't know if I believed half of them, but if half of them were even true, I'm glad that I never ate mm-hmm. at the places where they worked. I've been tempted a few times, but I've never done it. Right? I think the <laughs> the I think the worst thing that we ever did to people's food we did to our to each other. You know what I mean? Like we didn't we didn't mess with the customers' food, but we used to mess hardcore with each other. Like, when we worked in the kitchen together, didn't, don't drink Sprite. <laughs> because we would just dump salt on your Sprite. But then one kid had to go and take it too far and put bleach in the Sprite. Remember yeah. that? That's a little There's weird. always one kid who takes it too far. 
Absolutely. And usually it's one of us. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the Week in Weird for this week. If you have any stories you would like to share with us that you feel are strange and unusual, you can do so by tweeting them to us at SpookySC, hashtag them Week in Weird, and we'll catch them. We'll put them up on our website, and we'll maybe even read them here on the air. And you will get a warm radio hug from Stephanie, to quote Phil. <laughs> Warm radio hugs. Warm radio hugs. Yeah, well, you got to get something for doing the work of finding the story. So I think a warm radio hug is pretty much fine enough. So, uh, Sounds good. Again, some of these weirder stories, you know, as we get into the Halloween season, we're going to hear a lot stranger stuff, more unusual stuff, too. Uh, so you can always send that to us at SpookySE, hashtag it, Week in Weird. But if you want to get involved with the conversation tonight, just hashtag us Spooky Live while the show is going on. Uh, we are going to be talking in just a moment. We'll take a break and we'll get in touch with tonight's guests, David Roundtree and John Tenney, to talk about the new program, Ghost Stalkers, uh, which, of course, is going to air on Destination America October 19th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's produced by Nick Groff of Ghost Adventures fame, which, by the way, Ghost Adventures Season 10 is actually debuting tonight. It was on a little bit earlier, uh, and it'll be rebroadcast a couple of times tonight, so you can check that out as well. Uh, and if you haven't, you know, if you're listening to the show on podcast, I'm sure you've already seen it. Uh, but if you are listening live, or if you catch this before Monday night, and you can get yourself to New York City, you can come and be part of the Ghost Adventure. I'm sorry, Ghost, Ghost Stalkers premiere uh, by coming on down to the Bowery Hotel in New York City. If you go to eventbrite.com, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E.com, you can register for a free ticket to come and see the show. Now, it is first-come, first-served basis, so you will register, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you will have a seat in the hotel. So you have to show up early at the Bowery Hotel in New York City for this premiere. It's happening at 7 p.m. this coming Monday night, October 6th, and you'll have a chance to see the first episode in its entirety as it is revealed to the world. And John Tenney and Chad Lindbergh will be there to answer questions. Uh, Dave Roundtree will be there as well, myself, Nick Groff. So your chance to come out and meet the Ghost Stalkers team and to find out more about the program. There will be a Q&A and a, a chance to meet everybody involved. So I've never been to a New York City hotel. It said business casual. And, of course, I'm, I'm Mr., you know, business casual. We'll get you ready before you go. <laughs> I actually have my outfit already picked out. I already know what I'm going to wear. But, is uh, it black and brown? It is not. It is a maroon button-down shirt mm-hmm. with a pair of, I think, black pants. Kind of similar to what you wore to Brendan's party? I think it's the same shirt. Okay. And, of course, I will go with my untucked style because it looks better. It's more hip with the kids these days. The kids don't tuck in their shirts. As long as you don't wear brown shoes. No, I don't even have brown shoes. Okay, good. Uh, so I will be wearing, I'll, I'll have a black belt as well. Good. And which means nobody mug me in New York City because I'll be having a black belt. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> here. but here's here's kind of my, my problem. And this, this is just a little aside, just a little general talk here before we take a quick break. I went today because I'm like, this is kind of a big event. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't mm-hmm. got a haircut in a couple of months. My eyebrows are looking a little bushy. And, of course, I need a beard trim. I'm going to go to the barber and, and get done up right. I go to, go to my bar. I go to go to my barber shop. It's closed, like gone, like he's no longer in business there. So it's been I a while. I have no idea. Well, yeah, because I shaved my head over the summer, mm-hmm. so I, I hadn't been in there since maybe last spring. And what do I do now? I, I'm looking at two guys here that don't know what I'm talking about because neither one of them has been to a barber in 15, 20, 30 years. If you're you call knees. me 
and I put you in touch with someone. No, because your barber is going to cost like $35 for a haircut. No. I had a great thing going. It was 12, $12 for, $13 for a haircut, <laughs> and then I gave him $2 tip. So it was 15 bucks, mm. and I knew every time that it was going to be 15 bucks. And we have the same routine every time. I'd hand him a 20. He'd hand me back $7, and I'd give him $2 and say, here, tuck this one away so that the IRS doesn't know. It was like our thing. <laughs> it's what we did. But now I have to go and find a new barber. And it's, all, it's, it's just a scary world out there. I will help you. I promise. It's, and, and I've, super cuts. I've, no. I've gone okay. to the super cuts and all that stuff. I will not do it again. No offense to the super cuts or anything, but unless you're going to start shaving the back of my neck like needs to be done. Didn't I buy you a Floby? You did, but it also doesn't shave the back of my neck. And and, right. and nobody at home will come at me with a with a razor blade, at least not intentionally, and letting me know that I'm that they're coming. No, but nobody wants to take a razor blade and, and, and shave the back of my neck. So I need a barber. I need to feel that warm... Shaving cream lather. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. Think back to when you were five years old and you actually went to a barber. I just have images of Sweeney Todd. Nope, not like that at all. So I hear the commercial for this great place in Rhode Island where you know they give you the old-fashioned treatment and the shave mm-hmm. and everything. I look at the price. It's like $75 mm-hmm. to get a haircut. I'm like, but it grows back in two weeks. That's how they make their money. Yeah. So so there you have it. There's my little story for the day. I just I had to get that off my chest. Cause there's a place in New Bedford that uh, I've been You I've can. Been. The seven dollar haircuts. I don't know. It's a. It has like a hot dog place in it too. Yeah, it's, hot dogs. And the last time I went there, you would know about a place with hot dogs and haircuts. <laughs> Listen, the last yeah. time I went there, just to show you how long it's been since I went there. The last time I went there, I got into an argument with my parents about whether or not I could get any <laughs> designs shaved into the side of my head. And they're you like, should, you should get dollar bills or something. This is I want. I think I wanted to get like I don't know, like wavy lines, zigzags. Yeah. But this is when I had you know the spiked hair in the front and the long hair in the back. And I was like, can I just shave the sides of my heads and put designs in them? My mother's like, no, I will kill you if you do that. And but you had a mullet. Thank God she was right. <laughs> Listen, back then, everybody had one, okay? It was all right back then. You put ha- like hashtag ghost stalkers. I will. Hashtag ghost stalkers, hashtag spooky live on the side of my we head. We can make it really fun. I'll give you a haircut awesome. before you go. Uh, that scares me. Ask Andy Lake. I cut his hair. I was going to say, I've seen your husband. Is that was that your doing? That was not my doing. She's by like, my here, own let me choice. just give you a trim. He Next forced me to no shave his left. head. Okay. But I've I cut. Wait, you shave his time. head? Huh? You shave his head for him? I did. Oh, oh say Don't I can you touch that beard. Yeah, you leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> that beard needs to go. You leave it alone. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by our guests tonight, David Roundtree and John Tenney, two gentlemen who, by the way, are both very well-groomed. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back with more in just a moment here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, along with Stephanie Burke, science advisor Matt Moniz, and the silent assassin Matt Costa. And we think we've fi- fixed some of our phone issues here. I don't know. Hopefully. Why all of a sudden we're having trouble making long-distance calls? Who didn't pay the bill? I know why. Pick me. Why? Today's the first day of Mercury retrograde. Damn you and your Mercury retrograde. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Damn you and your it's Mercury retrograde. It's only three retrograde. weeks this time, though. 
It's still it's three weeks more than we need here. Right. With all the stuff that we have going wrong, is that why we were having all the Wi-Fi issues earlier, too? Probably. No, it's not. It's because the Wi-Fi here is terrible. Well, that, too. And, you know, we do. We did set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast if anybody would like to make donations to help upgrade Spooky TV. And if we can get enough people to donate, maybe we can get them to buy a new router or something uh, here at the station, which goes beyond our control, by the way. Yes, it does. Well, joining us on the line, we have a couple of gentlemen who you know if you are fans of the paranormal, if you have an interest in the world of the paranormal, and not just the idea of the pursuit of ghosts, but really getting into the the heart, the soul, the meat and potatoes of the theory of why this stuff happens. And so that's why I'm so honored to work with them. And I can't believe that it took Ghost Talkers to finally get each of them on the program. We want to welcome John Tenney, who is one of the investigators for Ghost Talkers. Good evening, John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're doing very well. Spooktacular, as we say here. <laughs> and I will lock you in. And we'll also bring in Dave Roundtree. Dave, are you with us? Yes, I am. Excellent. Worked out pretty well there. I'm going to lock you in as well, so that if anybody calls in, we won't lose you guys. See, I almost know what I'm doing here. <laughs> as, they, as these guys can attest, I'm a much better writer than I am a, a radio host. You're not too bad. We'll keep you. <laughs> well, you have to. <laughs> the station's making you. Well, uh... You know, guys, as I mentioned, I can't believe that it took this program, Ghost Stalkers, coming out to actually have you each on the show because I've been following uh, both of your work uh, for many years now. And, and John, you've been in this for a long time. Dave, you've been in it for a long time. Uh, so it's really, you know, you, you guys are both used to seeing the ebb and the flow and the, the waning and the waxing of the popularity of this topic. John, I know that you've been involved with, you know, television in the past. Uh, is it something that's always been kind of a, a a stick in your craw, the way that television perceives the world of the paranormal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've walked away from a number of shows. I've worked on a, a bunch, and they've pretty much all ended horribly. And, I, you know, it takes something really big to get me to come back in. And this is, you know, I don't want to uh, apply paranormal phenomena to everything, but, you know, this combination of the people that were working on the show really was synchronistic in its in its happening even the, the words that were used you know when uh when i was talking to nick at first and, and they wanted a, a science advisor he says uh you know he said you know i want you to try and reach out to someone he goes we need a tech person on the show uh, i really need someone who has just you know written the book on paranormal technology and i said well i know a guy who wrote a book called paranormal technology <laughs> and it was David. So, I mean, it was almost as if, you know, I, I was the universe was telling me, you know, you, you need to call David for this. Right. And, and it definitely worked out well because, uh, you know, when Nick Nick asked me, too, he's like, who do you know that's making cutting-edge equipment? Who who can really help us in that realm? And I thought the same thing because I'd seen some of Dave's stuff. And, and, Dave, I'll be honest with you. When I saw some of the equipment that you have on your website and some of the things that you've been trying, I looked at it and said – I don't know if that's something that can be applied to paranormal uh, pursuit because the people who are out there trying to pursue this just won't get what Dave's working on. But it seems like you know you've been able to create both very high concept equipment that you can run, but you're also able to create things that the common investigator can apply as well. Well, that, that's true, and and a lot of the stuff that we do create um, is put on our website so people can duplicate it themselves. I mean, they don't have to go out and buy it from any specific location. I mean, we have how-to tutorials and stuff like that on how to put it together yourself. 
also uh, a lot of the stuff that we use, not all of it so much, but a lot of it we do use and we make it accessible to the everyday investigator. One of the more interesting uh, bits of information that I found out about you over the years is the work, Dave, that you do for for a day job. You are a scientist like my co-host Matt Moniz. You are somebody who is looking at the world of the paranormal through a very scientific lens. But what I found also interesting is that you have a very spiritual side to yourself as well. And it's almost like you've found the perfect balance uh, of being able to achieve all of those uh, all those different avenues of the pursuit of the paranormal. It, it wasn't an easy journey. <laughs> it's like having your feet in both worlds. But I, I will say that I'm glad uh, that I'm able to do that because it has come in handy in my life. It's come in handy in the people in my life. Um, and it's actually hasn't been in the scenes and probably never will be, but it's been handy in the show. It's It's, you know, you have to have a firm belief system to be able to do this and to be able to experience this. And I say all the time, I don't have any kind of religious belief, but I do believe that there's something out there that we don't know and that we don't understand. Uh, John, you're someone who I, you have the same thoughts and theories that I do. I actually have listened to you on other podcasts and I've thought to myself, gee, this guy and I, we have a lot of the same ideas on this. Uh, and it's become a lot of forward-thinking people in the field are starting to have these same approaches that maybe this isn't all just chasing around dead people. Uh, and, and with that in mind, you know, how do you do what you do from the perspective that you do it from? I mean, Dave being spiritual and being scientific, you being very observational and almost journalistic in your approach. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things, right? Because the closest thing that I have to a belief system is my belief that I don't believe anything. Uh <laughs> I mean, for as, as nonsensical as that sounds, it's even, I don't even know if I believe that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I come at it from a very, uh, there used to be a, a really deep um, philosophical side to paranormal research that I think got lost somewhere along the way, uh, where you weren't just questioning, you know, why is there a ghost in this building, but you were actually questioning the nature of reality and, and how we perceive reality and you know, what is the difference between, you know, kobolds, imps, and pixies, and time travelers, and aliens, interdimensional beings, and ghosts? The only thing that really separates them is uh, the language that we use, which falters and falls apart very quickly when you start to examine the experience, and you, you pull the words away from it. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is lost on people today because the paranormal is so out there, uh, and I mean out there like in the forefront of people's uh, mainstream experience, and it's it's around us so much now that we take for granted the fact that it should really be blowing our minds when we have these experiences. And for too often now, people are going out and, and you get into kind of that, you know, if you're an investigator, if you're one of the people who are on these paranormal teams, you almost get into a rut of, okay, you know, is there going to be activity? Is there not? And you take for granted the fact that we're having these experiences that are really not supposed to happen. Oh, for sure. You know, whether it's, a, uh, again, whether it's a synchronistic event, you know, it's funny that we live in a world where, you have a huge body of people who are skeptical, and they'll tell you that, you know, certain happenings are coincidence. And again, it comes down to language. They've created a word 
that they can apply to paranormal phenomena. That means this just happens, but we don't know why. And they call it coincidence, and then say, well, it's not paranormal, it's coincidence. And, well, what's the definition of coincidence? Well, it's a bunch of stuff that happens randomly just because, but we don't understand why it does. And so that's what, what I'm talking about when I talk about paranormal phenomena. It's just happening, but we don't know why. And that's... Again, you know, having the idea of things being kind of preordained, predestined to happen and, and things coming together for a reason. That's exactly what's happened, I think, uh, not only with Ghost Stalkers coming together, but you and Dave becoming friends over the years. You know, to have these different approaches being able to come together with two minds that, let's face it, not everybody out there uh, researching this topic can explore it to the same depths that the two of you can. You know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because John and I disagree on a lot of things, but we agree on a lot of things. But our friendship is such is that we respect each other's opinions, even though, you know, we may not agree with each other. And, and I think that's important in a friendship, and I think it's important in a field that studies something of this nature as well. And, of course, now with Ghost Talkers, you're bringing in Chad Lindbergh, who is also one of the investigators on the show, and folks would know him from Supernatural, uh, from The Fast and the Furious, October Sky. He's been in a lot of different television shows and movies. Uh, but to bring him in, because he's been an investigator for a few years now, and I know that he has experience, John, but in seeing some of the footage that I've seen, it also seems like he still has a, a bit of that wide-eyed wonder to these experiences that yourself, having gone through it now for 20-plus years, uh, has probably become kind of secondhand in a lot of this stuff. And, and does that kind of reinvigorate you as an investigator to have Chad alongside you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm able to re-experience Attention my homeowners. By, by watching him. And, and Chad really is playing... You know, his part on the show, what he's doing is he's providing what a, a, a real person goes through when they start to experience these odd experiences. Uh, sometimes, you know, when an event or an incident or an encounter happens with me when I'm on camera, my reaction is, is very sullen, and I think about it. It's overthought. I go through the, my process of figuring out what just happened to me, and there's, a, you know, there's decades worth of... Uh, in, internal mining that I have to do to get through the experience, where Chad is very emotional and very reactive. He's new. He's allowed himself to be completely open on camera to uh, having these experiences, and I think it's so genuine and beautiful as a person who has become jaded over the years. Uh, I, I have no doubt in the, and no problem admitting that, and Chad... His, his passion and his experience has really allowed me to open up a channel back to myself that I have almost forgotten about. But at the same time, you also get to take a little bit of a mentorship role, and you get to have a little bit of a, an opportunity to teach, and to teach someone who is not only interested in, in the subject matter, but is willing to have the same approach that you are, that we don't have to necessarily buy into the idea that the paranormal can be pigeonholed into one particular category. Well, for sure. And again, you know, it's, it's great. You have, you know, David and I, and, you know, Chad comes to us with passion and curiosity and um, intensity and just a, a, a deep desire to know more and learn more, not only about paranormal phenomena, but himself. And he can talk to David and I because of the way that David and I are. He can talk and he can get a, a, a spiritual shamanistic side from David. And he can also get a scientific side from David. And he can come to me for a philosophical side and for a kind of weathered investigator's skeptical side. So he gets, you know, a fully rounded um, experience 
while he's doing the show, and I think that's really good for people to see. And, and you guys here in the studio, you can understand why I've been saying for weeks now that this show is going to kick everybody's ass. In terms of when they're watching this, they're going to be like, whoa. I'm really excited for it, just because I feel like it's so different from everything that we've seen so far. I feel like everything that's out there now is just, hey, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing over and over. So... And, and and we'll talk a little bit about each of you guys' experiences. I'm sorry, Moni, is that in, are you going to say something? I didn't yeah, I was going to say it sounds like it steps out of the boilerplate that all the others follow. Right, and that's kind of what's happened is, you know, each network has, wants to have their show where people are going out and proving that ghosts exist. But, you know, and, of course, the executive producer being Nick Ruff, he's kind of been there, done that. He's gone out and shown the world that these experiences do take place. And, and that was kind of his driving force behind this was to take it to the next level. And what a lot of people have been asking me, Dave and John, is the idea that, you know, is this going to be similar to Ghost Adventures because Nick is involved? And what's I've found to be the the – the hallmark of this is the fact that, yes, Nick is involved, but he's allowed this. This is your experience. This is your show. This is your uh, pursuit and your journey. And he's just helping to create the vision to document that journey. And, and John, as somebody who I know has been turned off from shows in the past, that must have been very liberating for you. Yeah, it's unbelievable that, that you know Nick put, put this thing together. And, and one of the things that he really wanted to show people and has I, I really think it's coming through on this show. I mean, this show is a really good baby step in the right direction for paranormal reality television and paranormal thinking in general. But, you know, he's allowing new ideas to be put forward. When paranormal television started, I was really excited because it created discussion and open dialogue, and it was starting to strip down stigmas, and I, I was really excited about it. And now we're, you know, 10 years into paranormal reality television, and a lot of the television shows have actually acted to stagnate people. They think there's only one way to do something. They think there's only one, one piece of equipment that you can use, that when you do an EBP session, you have to ask certain questions. And that's why this is such a good step forward. You see so much variation. You hear David and I talk about interdimensional beings and, and alternate realities. You, you hear natural conversations between questioning persons, and you don't get that on any other show. Well, I know that uh, we can go all the way back to the early days of television to when they first started covering paranormal topics. But one of the first shows that got a lot of folks involved in the discussion was In Search Of, which did one of the better jobs, I think, that any show has done. But, John, you were involved with another kind of uh, milestone in paranormal television, uh, that being Unsolved Mysteries. And you had a a role that you played on that show as well for for a while. Uh, Yeah, I was pretty much uh, their Tim. Uh, you know, I, I was a, a location scout, a researcher, writer, put, collected um, histories on places. And, you know, um, Unsolved Mysteries was one of the first place that really had access to Lizzie Borden House. And it, it, that was a, just a fantastic experience. But, uh, again, like all shows, you eventually reach a point where, okay, now it's becoming hyperbole and it's becoming, uh, you know, something to just shock and scare the viewer, you're losing out, you're not getting really any new information, and that's kind of when I left. I actually always joke that uh, there's still an office in New York where there's a cloud of obscenities that I, I spewed out <laughs> on one of the producers. That's, that room is still haunted by, by all the obscenities when I walked out of the office that day. I'd love to catch the EVPs there. Uh- <laughs> 
And, and Dave, you're someone that I can imagine uh, through, throughout the years, especially over the last decade or so, when when the investigation reality shows have come out there, you know, doing what you do and having done it for so long, I'm sure there was a lot of eye rolls on your part with some of what was being presented on television. Well, it, it becomes a cookie cutter scenario now. Um, you have all these thousands of groups out there emulating the same things over and over again, ad nauseum, and uh, it, it, it becomes old real quick. And what has happened in the television community is you're losing viewers because the community has educated itself now. And it's time for Quantum Leap up. It's time for us to kick it up a notch. And, and I have to hand it to, to Nick. He's been a pleasure working with because... He has the same visions that we do. Um, we're not searching for ghosts. We're searching for the truth, whatever that may be. And we're trying to remain open-minded about it because everything is getting lumped into this one category of ghosts, and it's applying to a myriad of phenomena. And that's simply not the case. It's much more complex than that. And it's like John hints, you know, in his, in his response, there are many things out there we don't understand. We can't lump them all into a single bag. We're going to have to individually bag those items, identify them, and explore them. And I think that's what's the beautiful thing about this show is we have the, the foundation involved to do some of that. I, I knew early on in the process that we were in for something special when in researching one of the cases, and I, I'm not going to give anything away here, but in researching one of the, in, the locations that the guys uh, investigate, I started hearing stories about something that was supernatural phenomena, but might not necessarily be considered ghostly activity. And I brought it up to the parties involved, and I said, you know, I don't know if this is a direction that we want to go in. And the response that I got was, it's all on the table. We don't know whether or not it's all connected. It seems like it's all connected. I know John believes it's all connected. And there's nothing that we can say that is off the table if it means it might be closer to getting us an answer. So that's when I knew, like, this was something that was going to go beyond anything anybody had ever seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the other thing I want to add real quick, if I might, <clears throat> we're a team. The entire pe a group of people involved in this project is a team. And I want to say that because that's the most important aspect of this whole experience is that all of us are a team, and we're all working very hard to provide not only answers to the paranormal, but uh, a view of the paranormal meme that is something everyone should be emulating, thinking outside of the box, not accepting anyone's word for something, proving things to yourself, demonstrating these things. And we went out of our way to capture things so that the audience could see and experience what we saw and experience. You're not going to see a lot of, did you hear that, and no one heard anything, and relying on us to explain what you missed on TV. You're going to see the things that we saw. You're going to experience things that we experienced. And I think that's going to be a key difference in the presentation of this project, is we're taking the audience with us. Absolutely. Now, and part of the, the key of that presentation, too, is just visually, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. There's a real artistic 
eye to what's being done. So not only are you seeing the gritty, raw reality of what's going on in the investigation, but you're seeing the uh, production values in the scenes that, that John and Chad aren't filming themselves. And we can get into all that coming up in the next hour. I also want to talk about what makes John and Chad unique for this situation. And I want to get into a little bit more in-depth uh, some of the theories behind what they're investigating in the show. And that's going to lead to a bigger discussion, of course, of just exactly what the heck is going on out there in the world of the paranormal. So that will all be on the table. We are going to take a break for the news right now. We'll come back after a few moments. We'll get back into it with John and Dave, and we'll take your calls as well at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also jump in the conversation on Twitter as well using the hashtag SpookyLive. If you're watching us on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll see the uh, chat window there for your tweets to pop up. They do take a few seconds, but I also have Twitter open so I can see them as they happen. So uh, a great opportunity for everybody to get involved in the discussion because we're blowing the doors open on the topic of ghosts and the paranormal throughout the night here with Dave and John from Ghost Stalkers, and we'll talk to you all coming up in just a moment after the news with more Spooky South Coast. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke, Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and the Silent Assassin Matt Costa, broadcasting live on WBSM and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, which uh, every week we broadcast live on Spooky TV, so you can watch what's going on in the studio, and you can also chat live with us on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. It'll show up right there on Spooky TV, and also you can... Call in to us as well, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And coming up in a bit, we will open it up for questions uh, with Dave and John, our guests John Tenney and David Roundtree. They are part of the new program Ghost Stalkers, which debuts October 19th on Destination America at 10 p.m. But if you are in the New York City area... Or if you can get to the New York City area before Monday night, the big premiere will be happening at the Bowery Hotel... Tickets are still available by going to Eventbrite, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com and searching for Ghost Stalkers. And you'll be able to, and you can also go to the Destination America website, by the way, DestinationAmerica.com and get your tickets there. But again, I have to reiterate, just signing up and getting a ticket doesn't guarantee you a seat. You have to be there and you have to be one of the people to get involved because uh, it is kind of a first come, first serve thing, even if you've already put in for your tickets. So don't waste any time. I'm going to be hitting New York City. I cannot wait to get down there and, and to actually meet John and Dave and Chad and Nick and everybody after just talking to everybody over the phone and via emails for months now. It'll be great to all finally get in the same room and, and hang out for a while. Because I know you guys have all had the chance to hang out, but I, you know, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of in the dark here with some of the in jokes a little bit. <laughs> Although Nick let me in on the Buffalo Bill stuff. Oh, there you go. That's all you really need to know. Right, so uh, and uh, I will not be putting any lotion in the basket. So <laughs> you may have to dance a little bit, though. I, that, I have no problem with that. 
Uh, and that will be a paranormal reality show all unto itself, watching me dance. So when let's take a step back here because uh, as, as we were saying, you know, you guys had both had a lot of experience. Uh, I know that John, you've been doing this for almost thirty years, and and Dave, pretty much just as long. And again, we're talking about something that had to be a pretty unique situation, speaking television wise, in order to get you to be involved. Uh, when you first heard the concept of what Ghost Stalkers was going to be, was there kind of in the back of your mind a little bit of Okay, this sounds great. We have paranormal people that feel this way. But John, you've had a lot of experience with networks. Did you think that a network would buy into to the same type of uh, approach? Oh yeah, you know, there's always worry in the back of your mind that this sounds great at first. I mean, it's just like a romance. You know, you you love at first sight, but then you get to know the person. You're like, oh, this is a disaster. Uh, fortunately, you know, this show just keeps providing more and more opportunities that I would never have thought uh, a network would allow. I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, to have people on television and allow them to really experiment and really uh, talk about their psychology, uh, internalize and talk and, and show that on television. I mean, it's just, it really is mind-blowing to me, and I, I just can't wait until people see uh, genuineness. You know, we've had reality shows now for 20-some-odd years, you know, paranormal or otherwise. And, I mean, I mean, I think it's really interesting to watch a reality show where you watch people internalize. The fact that, you know, we'll probably touch on it later, the fact that Chad investigates alone, you know, he goes in for one night by himself, I go in for one night by myself. Whether or not uh, the location is haunted or evidence is captured, you watch a person a human being alone in the dark uh, for hours at a time, and you can't help but speculate on your own mortality and on the nature of life and existence. And you you get to see transformative uh, experiences happen to both Chad on camera. And I think that that's just a a really uh, intense and powerful thing for people to witness. And, and that was almost something that, as being someone who watched a lot of these paranormal shows, I didn't watch as much of them in the last few years, but when they first started coming out, I paid attention to them. And it seems like they all go through the process of, you know, taking the viewer along for the ride of experiencing the paranormal phenomena, but you're not spending enough of the viewing time watching the experience of the person if you get what i'm saying you know you see you know you'll see some of these investigators go in and you see them almost as being uh, an avatar for the audience and almost like just a uh, just a way for the audience to connect with the activity that's happening but with this it's more about watching the transformation and just the stuff that i've seen seeing the transformation of chad from one location to the other and seeing him become more uh, confident and more sure of himself as an investigator it's just been amazing to watch Absolutely, and you know the the thing that's great, and uh, it's just you know a minor aspect. There's so many different aspects that are different about this show. You know, since Chad and I are, are doing all of the camera work for our filming for our investigations, most paranormal reality shows the camera is spent with the camera pointed at the person doing the investigation. Mm-hmm. Well, since Chad and I have to carry our cameras around, and the only way we can see is through the the viewfinder on the night vision on the camera. There's, you do see us on camera. We, we have to turn and sometimes talk to the camera because it gives me and uh, gives Chad, too, a sense that we're not alone. Uh, but the majority of what you're seeing, you're seeing from our perspective. 
because uh, we're carrying cameras around looking through the viewfinder of the camera. And that's, you know, a lot of, you don't see that on a lot of television shows. Now, the camera is mostly pointed at the investigator. So if something happens, it happens off camera. By the time they turn the camera around, you've missed it. I mean, so it's just one more aspect of, of this show that is, is really setting itself apart from, from the other ones. And, and Dave, what about yourself in, in watching, you know, obviously you knew John already. Chad, I'm sure that you uh, were just getting to know, getting involved in the, in, in the program. It, for you, is it, uh, is it satisfying for yourself as the person who's coming up with a lot of this uh, cutting-edge technology for them to use to see their reaction to what you're setting up for them and what you're introducing to them at a certain location? You know, this, this show is about personal journeys. And, and and it really, it, it's using the paranormal in a way as the backdrop of it. But it's about two people who are dealing with things in their lives through this environment. And it's triggering things in both of them psychologically that are really eye-opening. It's, it's eye-opening for, for us involved. It's eye-opening for the people watching it at home. And I think the that aspect of the show, this show is very onion-like in the fact that it's very multi-layered. Um, there's so many things that are going on that, that are just a byproduct of the process, what we're doing. And I think that's what's going to make it unique is the fact that you're watching two people, one a seasoned veteran, the other one uh, a newbie, if you will, coming into it, and how these things are impacting them personally. Um, it's not an analytical show in the fact that people are just offhandedly discussing something. People are experiencing things and reacting to those experiences, and I think that's one of the main parts of the entertainment value of the show is that you're watching people processing information as it's happening. And, and we're seeing, too, uh, you know, the bigger picture is never that far out of everybody's mind. You know, it's, it's always, you know, great, it's happening. But now, immediately, what does it mean? How can we put this into some kind of a perspective? And, and I think part of that is that, John, yourself, and, and Chad, you've had some pretty unique experiences in your lives in your younger days that have probably put you, if you believe in the idea of these other worlds, which a lot of folks do, these other realms, the experiences that you've had have put you guys closer uh, to that, which, uh, of course, being your... Uh, do you call it a death experience? Is that how you actually describe it? Yeah. Um, you know, when it's discussed, I, I belong to different groups, like the International Association for Near-Death Studies. and But, yeah, I mean, I, w I had a cardiac arrest, and I, I flatlined for a total of, of two and a half minutes. And actually, you know, that's right, that's right at the breaking point, too. When you start going to three minutes and four minutes, then you're talking brain death, and you don't really ever recover, even if they get you back. And, uh, you know, Chad, with his experience with getting sick with Rye syndrome when he was a child, when you're a child, you might... Uh, begin to form ideas about mortality through watching your goldfish die or going to a grandparent's funeral or, God forbid, a parent's funeral. But when you're six or seven years old and, or, and, and you're told, you know, that you're going to die, uh, that fundamentally changes how you perceive and understand the world. And that's, you know, that's where Chad came from. And my experience when I died was, you know, I, I hear people talk, when they talk religiously, they, they speak about being born again. Uh, I, I, I was transformed into a different person after my heart restarted. 
the the John that opened his eyes uh, after they were closed uh, was a different John, and you know that's a really unique thing too. When you're alone in a place that has a storied history where horrible, terrible things have happened in it, or tragic events have unfolded, um, again it goes back to you know you you find yourself watching what Chad and I do, and, and we're in the dark and we're alone, and we know that we more we're mortal, and and we understand the prospect of the very, very wispy strings that tether us to this to this living realm that we think we're experiencing. And, you know, to watch that happen is very satisfying. Uh, but the other part of this show that's so amazing is, you know, uh, if people will see in the first episode, David brings in a piece of equipment because we want to see if the environment is, is right for uh, some type of paranormal occurrence to happen. And you see... It happened on camera. His his device works perfectly, and just the genuine awe that that goes on between us when you see that happen is just an amazing thing. And, and Dave, do you feel like when you were bringing this equipment in and knowing the background that these guys have in your mind, scientifically, is it does it make a difference to be able to give it to people who have been through experiences like that? Do, they, do you feel like they're already closer to being? at this thinning of the veil uh, and you can just hand them this equipment and have it work even better because of the people who are utilizing it. I think it's probably one of the most rewarding things I've been involved in in my life and and I don't say that lightly. Um, the fact that we all have the relationship that we have with one another and the fact that I'm bringing something to the table that you know the people out there haven't seen. I mean a few have but now a lot of people will be able to see what we're really doing, what we're really looking at. We're looking at emerging information. And to be able to document that emerging information and show it mm -hmm. is, is awe-inspiring to me because I've been doing this work for the last eight years, specifically this, this line of research. So I know enough about what's going on that I can make predictions about what we should have if we have activity. And those predictions come true oh too well. I mean, more so than I've had experience up to this point. So I have to say that it's been rewarding in that aspect, in both the research aspect, and it's been rewarding in, in, in the social aspect and the fact that I'm watching my friends be exposed to this phenomena and not only being able to record it and show them what it looks like, but to watch their reactions when they see what they're dealing with. It is. It's, and it's amazing to, to know that uh, when everything can come together like that, it, it plays into the activity really being able to be amped up. And a lot of the shows that are out there have said, okay, well, we're going to go to this place and we're going to see if the reports of paranormal activity are true. And if we can document that and catch that for ourselves and for our viewers. And with Ghost Stalkers, the approach is different. You're going to places where you're saying, okay, we know that there's activity in these places. We've heard the stories about these places. And, and granted, the, the first episodes that you'll see are all places that you've never seen on television before. So there's that aspect of it too. But you're able to advance the conversation further by saying, we know that this, that this place is haunted. We know that there are spirits here, activity here. Now let's see what it all means. And it's it's got to be the difference between, I can kind of liken it, John, between the difference between going to you know elementary school and going to college. 
in in terms of the rewardingness of the education rewardingness the reward of the education that you're getting as a result of it absolutely and you know we have to the other thing with the elevating the level of discourse attention in the, homeowners in the field loosely knit field um, you know we we also have to get to a point which ghost stalkers does you know people want to understand what's going on they want answers to all of this stuff and you have to reach a point where you have to start talking about maybe there are questions that we can answer and maybe there are questions that we are biologically or or physically not able to answer I mean, we may be at a point in our own spiritual, personal, biological evolution where we're being confronted with things that we're, we can't yet explain due to our own personal limitations. And, and I, I feel like you can go to locations, and shows have gone into locations over and over ad nauseum and said, okay, this is haunted, that's a ghost. Okay, this is haunted, that's a ghost. Okay, this is haunted, that's a ghost. This is an opportunity that we're taking on ghost stalkers to say, okay, we know exactly what you said, Tim. We know this place has, you know, allegations of being haunted, but we don't want to pigeonhole it. We don't want to call it something that we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Let's go there. Let's experience it. Let's show people those experiences. And then let's have a larger, broader, more informed discussion about this very weird reality that we live in. And one thing that I'll say in terms of the, the natural reaction that you have to it that I've noticed in, in some of the footage that I've seen, and I don't know what it'll be like when it's presented for air, <laughs> but I've noticed that they take a very raw reaction, especially from Chad. You know, he, he drops a few, uh, a few verbal bombs there that uh, have to be bleeped out. So this, this is not the run-of-the-mill stuff that you guys are always hearing when you're going out on investigations, when you're going to these locations. You're hearing stuff that, you know, is really probably piquing your interest as investigators. Well, yeah, and you know, it's funny because on a lot of paranormal shows, again, you know, you have this added bonus with, with our show, with Ghost Stalkers, that the fact that we're in these locations by ourselves. Um, if people watch an episode of Ghost Stalkers, and there's a strange anomalous sound that occurs while Chad is investigating or while I'm investigating, there is no other person in the building. Every other show, there's a camera crew somewhere, there's two other people in the building, so things are being knocked around, voices are carrying through heat ducts. Um, there's, there can be solvable answers to these things, very easily and, and quickly rectifiable situations, because the building isn't empty. When Chad and I go in and we're alone, and a voice is heard audibly and caught on tape, or footsteps are caught audibly and, and, and recorded on video, that stuff happens, and there's no one in the building. So, I mean, you have this added level of knowing that there's no tomfoolery going on. And, and, and Dave, for yourself, I mean, going into these locations with these guys, checking them out, helping them set up the experimentation, and being a seasoned investigator for a number of years, uh, what, what was your thought when you found out they were going to be locked in, well, not locked in there, but they were going to be placed in there alone by themselves uh, with, with really only just a, a button and a camera that they can't two-way connect with as their only means of communicating? Well, because they're my friends, I had concerns. <laughs> I can um, imagine. <laughs> you know, going into a location solo is not a recommended activity. Um, so, and, and for a variety of reasons, safety being one of them. And we were all very, very conscious of safety. 
And and I, I want to get back to one thing you were talking about bleeped explicitives. <laughs> I think as the season goes on, you're going to find we were all bleeped at certain aspects. I love it because <laughs> it's real. It's raw. I like it. It is real. It is raw. I mean, I can tell you, I had personal experiences that uh, I you know I can't even explain. And and to me, that's what it's about. I think that's the exciting part of it. But yeah, I mean, you know, watching this unfold, and and we had situations occur where there were just uncontrolled things and there and there's drama there's real drama and and uh the way it's portrayed is real and and we we went through we we feel like we're a tighter brotherhood today than we were when it began and it's because of what we went through in the process of bringing this to people's living room and it's really when you get the chance to see it, folks, and when you get to see how everybody works together, it, it seems very organic. It seems very natural. And I think that's all because everybody's going into this without their mind made up, without the thought, as especially yourselves, you know, you know not necessarily being uh, television people. And, and John, you've made no secret about this. You know, you're not, you're not a cameraman first and foremost. Uh, <laughs> And Chad having more experience in filmmaking and all of that, too. But at the same time, you're not going into this worrying about getting the shot. You're worrying about this going in there and having the experience. And I think that will uh, help the viewers a lot of the times, too, feel like they're right alongside with you. Absolutely. I'm also worried about if I'm falling through a floor... Listen, I've got a location that I want to bring you guys to at some point that I'm concerned about whether or not you should be going around by yourselves in the dark worrying about what's on the camera viewfinder in front of you uh, because there's all kinds of holes and places to fall over. But uh, I would just love to see if the theories that we're putting forth on the show fit what I know is an extremely active uh, and, and really just fascinating haunt. Uh, but we can get into all that some other day. I'll, I'll talk to you guys about that Monday night. But is there uh, when I, I know that some of the theories uh, have been put out there, of course, Destination America put out a press release and mentioned the idea of portals, that being something that we're actively searching for places where there might be a doorway from one world into another. And before this started, I'll ask each of you, John, did you think that portals were something that existed and something that you'd been able to document before? You know, it's uh, funny because one of the things that's always fascinated me, and I talk, I've talked about this at my lectures for almost 20 years now, which is if, if ghosts are real, if ghosts and spirits are real and human beings have the potential to become a ghost, uh, then that means that every person who's ever lived has had the potential to become a ghost. And so far on this planet, we estimate that there's been about 100 billion people who have died. Now, let's say half of them turned into ghosts. That means there's 50 billion ghosts on this planet. If that's true, why are they only in certain locations? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that really fascinates me about these doorways and entryways. Um, what is it? Is it environmental? Is it psychological? Are, are people uh, self-connected to how to transverse this reality with some other unknown dimension? Um, otherwise, every single place should be as haunted as every other single place. And somebody like my co-host here, Stephanie Burke, who is a, a spirit medium, a psychic medium, she can see spirits. And, and you would see five, you know, you'd see five, six, seven, eight, nine behind me all at one time right. instead of being able to just zero in on a few. So, I mean, it must be kind of the same way for you and, and your perception. Yeah, depending on the, the location or, you know, some people believe, oh, this place is haunted. It's only one person that's there. Um, I've walked into places that 
have had a group of 10 just kind of hanging out in one room. <laughs> so it, you, you don't know. And I find that part of the show absolutely fascinating. I really can't wait to watch. You know, and, well, and one of the things David David can tell you, too, one of the things that people experience uh, through watching his experimentation and Chad and I investigate is that we do seem to show the human component to this, you know, that, that human beings are a, a large part of the system that we're experiencing. And a lot of folks out there who do paranormal investigating themselves and, and go out to locations and, and try to, I'll say, coax spirits to interact, mm-hmm. uh, they try and draw them out and try to get them to engage, they've been critical of some of the different approaches that we see on TV, of you know just shoving something in their face with blinking lights that they might not understand, or yelling at them, or, or you know banging on the wall saying, can you do this too, and, and basically asking them to perform. And one of the first clips that I saw... And I know that you guys have talked about this, so I'm not really giving anything away. But one of the first things that I saw was Chad saying, you know, we come here out of love and respect. And I think that makes a huge difference because that's an approach that I think a lot of folks, it's lost on. A lot of people are just trying to have the experience, and they're not trying to make that connection. And it seems like he's willing. And I'm sure, John, too, yourself, you know, that's something that you might forget going into haunted locations that, you know, ghosts were people, too, to use a a bumper sticker that's been way overused for years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, Chad does that because he honestly is out of there, out of love and respect and out of a a deep desire to find answers to questions that he has about the nature of reality. And in the first episode, you know, I have always had a problem with provoking. I don't don't go into bars and push people around I don't know uh, because they'll beat me up, so I don't do the same when I investigate. But, you know, in the first episode, people will see... Um, a person who's familiar with the location at some point tells me, you know, the only way that you're going to get uh, a response is if you call something out. And I have difficulty doing it. I do it because if that's what the person who knows the location much better than I for years and years says need to be done, I try my regular way, and if nothing works, then I go to the next, I go to the next part. But even my calling out of something... Uh, I think people will see that I'm not doing it aggressively. I'm saying, listen, I heard you like to be called out, so I'm calling you out. And I say it as calmly as that, because it really is about intent, I feel. Not the, not how you're speaking the words, but what you're thinking as you say the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, what's been your approach over the years in, in your investigation? How have you tried to uh, begin interaction with spirit? Is it more just a matter of coming in there and, and bringing some of these devices that you've created and, and turning them on and seeing what happens? Or or do you try to have that personal interconnection? Because at the same time, your spiritual side, I think, you know, you have to have a good balance between the science and the spiritual. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and for the last eight years, my research has been uh, portal formation. It has been. I've developed a whole theory about it that I call the wormhole theory uh, that's basing this on the formation of Einstein, Rosen Bridges, and emerging information. And the show is allowing me to demonstrate the evidence of that, which is fantastic. Oh, and it's, um, it is amazing this, what, you, yeah, what you've created. And, and, and my approach has been more from a scientific aspect in that I know things being spiritual. My scientific approach has been to try to find proof of what I know. And, and that proof has not so much been in an interaction because I try to remove the human element from it and then have controlled experiments with the human element to compare and correlate the differentials. And, and the thing that's so good about it is this stuff's happening around us all the time. 
and it's happening around us in a lot of different places. And because of the environment and what we are going through with our consciousness, we don't we don't even register it. But it is going on around us all the time, and it's only in times when we concentrate on looking for it that we find it. And and I think that's a key vital element here is this is not anything that's paranormal. It's normal. We just don't understand it yet. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand this this process that's normal and, and be able to define it in such a way that we can understand it and put it into perspective with the rest of normalcy that we know. Absolutely. And, you know, we've hinted at it a little bit here, and I've mentioned your spiritual side, but why don't you let the audience know uh, exactly w- what we're talking about when we say that? Well, I started in the field in 1976, and I also started in, in my spirituality in 1976. I got out of the military, and I was pretty lost. Uh, it was a Vietnam era. I uh, went through a lot of personal things that were difficult to deal with, and uh, I was wandering out west. <clears throat> and uh, a medicine man came up to me, and, and I had been having dreams since I was very young for my grandfather, who was full-blooded native. And, and he had been telling me things to try to teach me traditional lessons. And this old, old gentleman dressed up in regalia came up to me and started talking to me like he'd known me all my life and that he had been talking to my grandfather and that it was his job to teach me the way. And I ended up being trained in, in Native American medicine. And over the years, I've carried that. And there was a time period for about 19 years that because of an incident that occurred that's the subject of my new book, I went away from that path. And it's only been relatively recently that I went back onto it and came to grips with it. So I've had a personal journey in the background of all this as well. Um, but I think the, the important thing here is that we're bringing something genuine. And John's hit on this numerous times. And we are working very hard to keep it that way. It needs to be real. And people need to understand that even though you may be skeptical about things, um, these things exist, and it's our job to try to document that. I just I love the fact that it seems like the path for everybody to come together on this started so many years ago, and it's almost like it was uh, you know predetermined. And I'm somebody Stephanie will vote for. I never believe in that kind of stuff right. until I said to her, you know, off the air, I said, you know, all that crapping on fate and destiny that I've done over the years, that this this is kind of proof that it's meant to happen, and uh, every, everything seems to be coming together. The, I agree. The key part about it too is that people are getting so amped up for the show and it hasn't even debuted just seeing a little you know 15 second clip on destination america and hearing you guys coming on shows like this and and talking about what's going on and and knowing that it's going to be something different you know i think people are ready for that and they're ready to accept something that 10 years ago might have been just too much for them to be able to handle and to understand you know let me just add something here the community has educated itself Mm -hmm. and it's time for tv to respect that and maybe we're pioneers in that that realm. You know, maybe maybe John and Chad and I and, and Nick and and the whole crew involved with this, we're pioneers in doing something different and presenting something. You know, we we work very hard in our planning and our prepping, which of course you know personally. Mm-hmm. Um, we we take care in setting things up so that we do catch data. You know, um, because once it starts, there's no changing anything. I mean, we're going with it. 
and there's no cutting. There's no wait. Can you do that again? I mean, right. it's it's like a constant flow, and you got to hang on for the ride. And and because of that, you know, we take great care setting things up to start with, so that we do catch things, and that we do that we are able to present in a visual aspect as best as we can what we may encounter. And, and I think that attention to preparation and detail is is what's going to be the driving force in the production values of the show. Well, and I, I think that it's it's definitely key because, uh, you know, we've been I've been critical here on the show of some of the shows in the past, some of the TV shows that have come out and the way that they've handled things. And to me, the question that I always hear from people in the field, and I'm sure that both of you have heard this question is, you know, when are they going to make a paranormal show for the paranormal mm-hmm. community? Because it seems like everything is so simplistic, and you have to kind of explain to people, listen, TV isn't being made for one small segment of the population. It's being made for everybody. It has to be digested by the masses. But it well, seems like – sorry, go ahead. There's something for everybody in this show. Uh, but, that's, that's the other key thing is that, yeah, we do we do point out things and present them to the specialists, so to speak, the paranormal community. Mm-hmm. But the general viewer who has no clue about what goes on has plenty of grist for the mill. But they're also being able to get caught up, and they're, they're catching up, and they're starting to think the same way that the para- paranormal community does as well. So that's what makes it uh, especially rewarding to say that, okay, not only can people who have been in the field appreciate what's going on, but now these people who their only experience is by watching it through the eyes of other investigators on TV, they can now say, all right, wait, I'm ready to advance this conversation as well. So it's, uh, it'll be fascinating for sure. Do you guys want to take some questions from the, uh, from the audience? Sure. sure. All right. Well, if anybody would like to call in, the number is 508-996-0500 or 877-996-1420 if you'd like to call in toll-free. Also, you can send questions uh, through Twitter by hashtagging them SpookyLive or tweet us directly at SpookySC, and we'll be able to see those questions. But it, it seems like uh, you know all the comments that have been coming through during the course of the discussion have been excitement for the fact that things are different and things are unique and everybody coming together with no ego no no predisposition toward anything and just willing to explore this topic the way that probably you know you guys probably got involved with from the very beginning having an open mind and not going into it with any kind of uh, preconceived notions uh, john with yourself with going out there and doing these lectures that you've been doing for all these years what do you find is the hardest part to get the audience, the general public, to accept? Um, you know, the, the hardest thing for any of us, right, is I always tell people, like when I said earlier about, you know, I don't necessarily believe in anything. I think that it's really great for people to have ideas which are flexible and malleable and can change over time. When you have a belief, uh, you're really concreted to something that's going to become geriatric very quickly. And that's just as you grow as a person. And so, you know, getting people, when people say to me, I have a ghost in my house, um, you know, when I asked the question at the beginning of my lectures, how many people here believe in ghosts? You know, 200 people raise their hand, but each of those 200 people has their own definition of what a ghost is and their own belief in what a ghost is. And they're willing to, you know, stand by that belief because it is a belief. Um, uh, until they become frustrated that no one understands what they're talking about. And so I implore people to have, you know, new ideas and be able to think freely 
uh, I, I heard earlier before you had me on the show, you mentioned the name Ghost Stalkers, mm-hmm. um, which is actually the most criticism I've got on the show is why is it called that? And, you know, when we were trying to name the show and we were trying to come up with the show, I really wanted to work in the concept of a psychopomp, which is an old term that's not really used anymore, but it, it means anybody that helps... Um, transition between this world and the world of the dead is a psychopomp. So the Grim Reaper is a psychopomp, an angel is a psychopomp. Um, but obviously you can't call a show psychopomps. Uh, the audience will have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and so we were just looking at the words and, you know, pomp means to walk and psycho is a mind or spirit. And so we started working on blends of that, death walkers and spirit walkers and Ghost stalkers, though the word stalker is an old Germanic word that means to walk quietly. It was only in 1991 when the National Enquirer used it uh, as a, a bad term, as someone who's a stalker who does something evil, that it has this implication that it has now. But the original traditional meaning is someone that walks through the forest quietly without disturbing the forest itself. What's interesting about that too is uh, Christopher Balzano, who was formerly uh, the uh, director, uh, he was the what, what was his name? Content director here. It's, it's, sorry, Chris. That's good. But uh, Chris Balzano, who worked on this show with us for a number of years, uh, him and I had a lot of discussions off the air about different aspects of uh, just the folklore and the mythology of what it is that paranormal investigators do, how it plays into all of that. And we've had numerous discussions about how our today's paranormal investigators just modern psychopomps. Are their jobs really just to be there to recognize, to pay tribute to and to help move on these spirits not saying that you're going to conduct a ritual where you go out there and help a spirit literally move on but just by acknowledging their presence and and letting them know that someone still heard them that allows them to make that transition so it's very interesting that you bring up the idea of psychopomps you're right it would have made a very bad title for a tv show but the t-shirts would have been awesome you can still make the t-shirts right that's true but Psychopomp and Circumstance, that would have been a fantastic <laughs> name for, for a TV show. But I think we do have a question here uh, on the line, and if anybody would like to call in, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also tweet us at SpookySC or use the hashtag SpookyLive or email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dave and John. Do you have a question? Uh, yes, sir. How are you doing? For uh, Mr. Caney, um, John, I was wondering uh, during his years of investigating, how many times has he run across shadow people, and what does he believe that they are? Um, thanks for calling. Thanks for the question. You know, it's good because, again, when you're dealing with uh, entities that look like they're some sort of human form, um, I've encountered uh, over the past 27 years now. Um, Probably a dozen uh, or more what people would call shadow shadow persons, and what's really strange is is you know I, I'm from Detroit and so I, I live in a very culturally rich environment. Um, you know Dearborn is right next door and they don't have ghosts they have jinn uh, because it's a heavily Islamic population. Um, we have a huge Polish community and a huge Romanian community, so you know when you talk about the boogeyman, you're actually talking about a nature spirit. Uh, so again, I think with shadow people, the encounters that I've had have been so various and different. To say that it's simply one thing um, would would do it a disservice. 
Uh, I've talked to a number of people who believe that shadow people um, are shadow people because they refuse to go into that light, and they're actually standing in front of it, which is why you see a silhouetted form. Uh, and whether it's their own fear that's blocking that loving light into this reality, uh, when you when you see a shadow person, it's because they're blocking this warm, well-wishing feeling, and so you get a feeling of negativity from them. But it's not necessarily that they're negative. Um, I don't know if that helps to answer your question, but I think that just like every other experience we're having in the paranormal realm, uh, shadow people are vast and differing in their personalities and in the way that they react to our reality. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the investigations that I've had, you always find shadow people around other spirits, um, you know, other human-like spirits. Um, I've often wondered, to me, they seem more like a leech spirit. You, you have a lot more cases of them reported in places to where there's some kind of tragic event, um, such as um, the insane asylums, you know, the abandoned hospitals, where there's always been some type of harsh tragedy. You have more reports of shadow people, and you, you get more evidence of shadow people in those places. At least that's what I've found. And to me, they seem more like a leech spirit, like they're almost like they're there to leech off of the, the torment that the other spirits have faced. Well, you know, it's very possible. I mean, that's a that's a, a, a great concept, um, and you're absolutely right. They do seem to be uh, mostly seen around places of tragedy. The, the question that I've asked myself numerous times is, are they a spirit or an entity that came to that location because of the tragedy, or are they much like a thought form or an aggregor, and they're an actual entity that was created by the tragedy that happened in that location? Is that why they are like a, without personality like and without... Uh, actual, you know, physical form. They just look kind of human. Is it possible that the tragedy that was in the minds of the people who were suffering dragged something into reality? Hmm. Very interesting. Well, thank you very much for the call, sir. Yes, sir. Um, thank, thank you for the question. Take care. That, you know, that's uh, amazing to me, John, to think of it, because I've never thought of it that way. I've never thought of these shadow figures being kind of shadowed not you know i've always thought it was the nature of the being that was causing them to be that way uh and we've had experiences ourselves monies and i chased one around the basement of lizzie borden's for the better part of an hour uh that uh you know would stop and would would mess with us and would wait for us to chase it again from room to room and but i've had other ones that have come up to me and i've actually interacted with and physically touched and physically had that connection with uh, so uh, to think that it might not necessarily be some sort of dark or, or, or scary figure is uh, it definitely will give me pause the next time I run into one, which seems to happen more <laughs> often than not. I don't know uh, what it is about me, but... It's, it's interesting. You know, I have a scientific theory about shadow people, which is, you know, completely objective about it. And, and it's the fact that I believe that, you know, human beings give off light. We give off light. We give off... Our DNA emits photons. And what if it's a life form based on anti-photonic emission? And they're literally absorbing light and not reflecting it. No. Um, because if you think about that, that's exactly what you see when you encounter one. There's no light. It's like zero light. And uh, I, I will have to say, watch the show. 
No. Uh, well, I know I definitely will be, and I'm sure the audience will be as well. Uh, John, one question that I want to ask you, and this it works in regard into your work uh, in the realm of conspiracies. I heard you recently on another show discussing conspiracies uh, at length, and you mentioned that you were lucky enough to have a mentor and that you started off studying conspiracies with a focus on political assassinations. And uh, I actually started off doing the same thing when I was in college. And I'm wondering if, if Dr. Philip Melanson is a name that you ever came across uh, during your study. What was the name you kind of broke up there? Dr. Philip Melanson? Um, I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar to okay. me. He was here uh, where we live in the, the uh, south coast of Massachusetts. He was a professor at UMass Dartmouth that taught a course in political assassinations in America. Uh, so I remember getting involved. And that's how I first started reading Jim Mars and, and hearing you know him. And so it was such an honor to me when I finally got to have Jim Mars here on the program a couple of years ago. And we've become pretty close friends in the time since. And it just shows that there seems to be people who are very forward-thinking that have popped into our lives from time to time that have kind of kept us on the right path and, and, and asking the right questions. And I think that you guys have now with Ghost Talkers, you have the opportunity to be in that same role for the audience, for the people who are watching this show and realizing that, you know, it's not all about wearing a, a tight shirt and yelling at the ghosts. And it's not all about, you know, <laughs> it's not all about having matching T-shirts and, and driving a van with a logo on the side of it, too. But yeah, you know, my mentor, uh, who did start me kind of on this path, um, you know, he, he was the first person who legitimately in, introduced me when I was, because we were studying history, obviously, we're studying political fascinations of the 60s and 70s. And it was through Craig, my mentor, who led me to meet people like Jim Mars and Mark Lane and Gerald Posner and Edward J. Epstein and all these people who were, you know, uh, are giants in the conspiratorial field. But the thing that, was instilled in me at an early age was, you know, history is a fluid and dynamic, ever-changing thing, and it's written by the victors, and so there's always a multitude of ideas. And that's something that I've carried through into my research about the paranormal, is that this is a fluid and a dynamic field, and it is, is beautiful in its ever-changing quality. And that's really why I always stress to people that, that concept I was talking about earlier about keep having a multitude of ideas and, and not being so... Uh, concreted to your belief system. Uh, and and Dave yourself, I mean, who was there somebody that actually, uh, you, of course, in the study of uh, Native American medicine, you know, we heard of kind of who started you on that path, but from a scientific side, was there someone or some experience uh, that decided to have you apply, uh, that had you apply that, um, that approach to finding answers to the paranormal questions? Absolutely. I mean, I was blessed to be brought up in the time of giants. Um, you know, my contemporaries, when I began this, the people I looked up to were people like, you know, Hans Holzer, people like, um, you know, uh, J.B. Ryan and Elsa Ryan. And, 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 you know, my mentor was Dr. William Roll, and he was probably the foremost expert on, on, you know, poltergeist activity in this country. And up until his last days, in fact, he was the first person to read Paranormal Technology after I wrote it. And and he told me, he said, you have a great book here. He says, it's too bad I only understand a part of it. And that was probably the best compliment he could have ever given. Yeah, wow. That's... And, and you know, he, he, was, he was adamant about being objective. And, and if nothing else, he preached objectivity. And that has served me well over the years. 
And I, I think that that's going to be something that will shine through uh, for a lot of the folks who watch this show when it premieres October 19th on Destination America at 10 p.m. And again, anybody who can make it out to New York City Monday night, uh, there's still the opportunity to get tickets through Eventbrite. Just search for Ghost Stalkers and you'll be able to join us uh, at the actual event in the Bowery Hotel. Have you, I, I know that you guys have uh, you know done other television shows in the past. You've been involved with some uh, in the past, uh, but... Have you ever seen anything like this before where they're going to put you in front of the, the media and in front of the crowd and the masses and say, and I know that, uh, John, you already did this uh, at Scarefest too, but to say, here are the guys and here's the show and what do you think? Are you, are you nervous at all for this Monday night? Um, you know, I'm not. It's, it's one of those things. I, uh, as a sidebar to all of this, I grew up um, until the age of about 11 with a horrible speech impediment, with a huge stammer and a stutter. And uh, I went to speech therapy and got through it and ended up lecturing for a living. Mm-hmm. So any opportunity that I have to be up in front of people, I take it and I cherish it and I love it. Awesome. And, and Dave, you're a personality, so I know that you have no problem working a room. No, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now, and, and I enjoy the interaction. You know, I, I enjoy being reachable and being, you know, in contact with the people that are going to be watching, that are going to be seeing what we're presenting. Because I know when I go to something like this, I have a million questions. And when I question someone and they don't have time to talk to me or they don't have time to answer my question, I lose interest pretty quick in what they're doing. So I think it's really important that we do these type of things, that we actually make ourselves accessible to the public, because it it allows them to realize that we're human beings and not just an icon on TV. Absolutely. And, and of course, if there's somebody sitting down in the front row in a T-shirt that says Psycho Pomp heckling you, you know, you'll know that that's me. <laughs> what, what I think uh, people are going to enjoy, too, about this, uh, in watching what I've seen of the show, and I know, you know, in the reaction that people have had uh, from Scarefest, is everything just comes across as genuine. Everything comes across as with the right intentions. And that's something that I think is going to hit home with the audience. And I know that is... They see the different locations. You feel the same way with this program as we feel with our company, Legend Trips, where we take people into haunted locations to raise money. The location is the star. The place is the focus. And it seems like that is what is what's going on with, uh, with Ghost Stalkers. And it shows that you know there is no ego involved in this. There is no theory to prove. It's more, let's see if the stuff that comes at us fits into the theory. And I think that that's new and different and refreshing in terms of uh, presenting investigation to the public. So, Let me add something to what you're saying there, too, because one of our kind of unofficial side goals in this is that we want to preserve history. You know, we want to help these locations to remain among us. And so a lot of what we do is we talk to the owners, and we say, you know, this, this, this will help you preserve it. It will help you to keep it going if you utilize the tools that we're giving you. You know, it will help preserve these buildings for future generations to be able to admire and to experience. So, you know, we, we have, you know, these altruistic goals. Um, there are personal goals that we try to implant in the process as well. We want to save these locations. You know, we want them to impact others like they impacted us. And I think that's kind of a cool thing that we all sort of just do organically as part of this project. 
it, it was a, a moment that truly moved me in the research of, of the locations. Uh, John, there was one location that I know you had been to in the past uh, that will appear in, in these episodes. Uh, and in talking with the owner of, of that building, a, a former school, in discussing that, with her and, and feeling the passion that she has for maintaining the building, I, f- I felt like even if nothing else comes out of this, the fact that it's going to help this woman with this goal is going to be enough for me to walk away and say that it made a positive impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on it earlier when you were, were speaking about, um, you know, spirits and ghosts and, and perhaps they just need acknowledgement and they just need to be remembered. And that's another layer of this show, is these locations, much like the, the stories that take place in them, the locations uh, need to be remembered, and, and they, need, they need some attention, and they need to be looked at and remembered what happened there. We, we have such a limited history in the United States. Our, we're such a young, still such a young country, and especially I can tell you coming from Detroit, you know, it's very hard to do investigations in Detroit because as soon as a building is 60 years old, we tear it down and build another one. And Detroit's history, Detroit's a, a perfect example of what happens when a city loses its history. Uh, you, you can't go to places and experience, you know, the Model T plant where the very first Model T was built is in complete disrepair and being torn down right now. Uh, these are parts of a collective history that need to remain and be remembered. And I, I think that's one of the levels of, of on Ghost Talkers that we're doing with these locations. Well, thank you very much, guys, for joining us. And I look forward to hopefully uh, in the future having each, each of you on individually so we can get uh, really in-depth with some of the topics that you both cover. Uh, of course, Dave, the new book is called Demon Street USA, right? Yes, sir. And people can get it uh, through Amazon and wherever else books are found? Yeah, you can actually buy it off the shelf in Barnes & Noble stores. Excellent. And it's available digitally, too, as well, right? Yeah, you've, all the digital formats are there and everything, so you can get it at your favorite uh, supplier. If I buy the digital version and I get to the last page and the story's over and I'm finished reading the book, is the last page going to be a portal that sucks me in? <laughs> well, I'll have to tell you there are at least four um, sequels in the works to that book. Wow. All right. Well, we look forward to talking with you about that for sure. And, and John, of course, keep us up to date with uh, all of your lectures around the country. And we look forward to talking to you guys again, too, as well, before the next season. Right? Come on. Let's, let's get the positive Absolutely. momentum rolling. All right. Thank you, guys. I look forward to seeing you both Monday night. Thanks, everybody. All right. Take care. Thanks that- for having us. That is Dave Roundtree and John Tenney, two of the stars of Ghost Stalkers, which will be premiering October 19th on Destination America at 10 p.m. And, of course, we'll keep reminding you about that in the weeks to come. We'll be back next week with our guest, the psychic lawyer, Mark Anthony. We'll, we'll take your calls as well for Mark, and I think he'll also be giving some readings as well. So we look forward to talking to you all next week. For Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>